Are you a sneakerhead? A baller? Want to know about the hottest brand you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready, because we got all the details right here. It's Kicks and Bricks, where we got game on the streets and on the court. Here's your host, Jamel Cutler. This episode of Kicks and Bricks is brought to you by The Den Consulting Agency. The Den is a marketing agency that works directly with firms and provides them with innovative, distinct strategies that will take your projects to the next level. Drive your business and promote your products with The Den today. Consulting, that's what we want, baby. You can find them online at thedenconsulting.com and by phone at 646-770-2507. Welcome to another edition of Kicks and Bricks. Today we have the legend himself when it comes to streetwear and one of the co-founders of Dada, the legend himself, Michael Cherry. What's good, Mike? How you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm all right, man. Thank you for coming on, man. You're a legend around these parts. All right, so, like, you grew up in Queens, like, in the late 80s. Like, how much of a fashion impact did, like, seeing, like, the local hood dudes, like, have on you? Oh, it was amazing. Um, you know, that, that's, that's where, in the 80s, it was, you know, a whole crack era. And so, mm-hmm. of course, they just blew money on whatever they wanted to wear and cars and jewelry and clothes. And I went to Springfield High School. You know, I went to school with kids that were 14, 15, driving Mercedes Benzes, wearing $15,000 chains. So, of course, I was going to be influenced by that. You know, I also went to school with guys that used to come from Brooklyn to Queens and Harlem to Queens. And those those cats dressed completely different from right. Queens cats. So, you know, I was exposed to a lot of different um, fashion. You know, you know, one of my OGs from um, back in the day, he told me that Brooklyn cats used just used to go to Queens, just just to rob dudes. <laughs> Could have been true. <laughs> I wasn't part of that uh, getting robbed crew. I can imagine that because there's a lot of money in Queens, right. and Brooklyn comes and goes. You know what I mean? They just mm-hmm. go and disappear back into Brooklyn. <laughs> All right. So, um, can you talk about like? the importance like hustlers had on streetwear back then, because like most rappers, they was like mostly influenced by the drug dealers, basically. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like it was all about Gucci, Louis Vuitton, MCM. What's up, Max? It's called Your Name. Okay, thank you. I'm doing an interview. I got a four-year-old. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like I said, I went to guys, I went to school with, with hustlers, you know what I mean? And it was a fashion show every day. It was what could you wear every day? You, you're talking about cats that never wore the same pair of sneakers twice. You know what I mean? So seeing cats from Southside, Baisley 40, that was getting thousands of dollars a day coming to school, um, it was all about track suits and Gucci, Louis Vuitton, um, Ewings, Jordans, uh, Sergio Tacchini, Fila, 
it, I mean, and they, they didn't wear the same thing twice, right? So Queens cats were very flashy like that. Brooklyn cats would be on some completely different right. level. They wear stuff that you never knew what it was, but it was hot. <laughs> You know, some of them were just straight Gucci dudes. That's all they wore was Gucci socks, Gucci underwear, Gucci and everything. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it was there was a huge influence. And at that time, Dapper Dan was out. He was making a lot of custom stuff for a lot of the hustlers. I paid attention to that. Um, even at 14, 15 years old, I was doing graffiti jackets, airbrush stuff. So, um, you know, I had found a tailor. And I was going to start my own business because I was a graffiti artist. I felt like I could do better than that. But then because font wise, I could kill him. So I found a tailor. I found the velour fabric. I found somebody that could do the leather apple case. I went to Southside, met up with um, Black Just. Um, you know, I was like 15 years old and he wanted 10 out based off of the graffiti book that I showed him. And mm-hmm. examples, instead of it saying Tim, like Timberland, it would say Timothy. Instead of it saying Nike, it would say Mike with the check sign. You know what I mean? With my own font. And so they thought that that was hot. So I actually went and I met up with Black Just from uh, Supreme Team. And he was going to pay me um, $500 a suit out of his pocket cashed that same day but i didn't take the money because i was scared that if something goes wrong then i owed his mm-hmm. dude thousand dollars so i was like nah you know i tried to borrow the money from my you know my mother and my brother and but that never happened so i never really got started but initially i should have probably been starting um my actual business at 15 years old yeah. even before i was doing airbrush jackets at 13 for 500 dollars mm-hmm. Right, you mentioned the graffiti jackets. Um, I was looking at some old pictures, and I seen like Supreme, like he wore a couple of them. Did you make any pieces no. for him back then? No, the only person I could have made stuff for was Black Just. He was gonna buy ten for him and his team, and he was tried to pay me that same day cash out his pocket. I wouldn't accept it. All right, so um, like, who are some designers that kind of like shape your own style as we come to know it today? Um, you mean the out of the new style of people now? No, like the designers that you grew up on, like who kind of influenced you, like and kind of morph your style, subliminal man. Say what's up. Hey man, man. you're being recorded. You're on live on on kicks and bricks. Anything can happen on here. I'm your name. Hi, my name is Max and Cherry. That's Max and Cherry. The MC is for Michael Cherry and Max and Cherry, right? What's what's good, Max? How you doing? Tell him how you doing. Well, he's shy. He's four years old. Anyway, um, th- there was a lot of people that influenced me. The first people that actually influenced me before Dapper Dan was um, the Shirt Kings, obviously. You know what I mean? But I was doing graffiti since I was like five or six years old. Like I, in my bedroom, my mom used to let me do graffiti on the walls and to this day i'm 50 if you go to her house and you go inside my old bedroom the closet door that i used to do all this graffiti on from like four or five years old it's still there so yeah you know it all came from graffiti and hip-hop and and then it morphed into you know watching the shirt kings and then 
Dapper Dan jumped on the scene and the crack era happened. And then I was just like, wow. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, but I've always been influenced by those that had money because those that had money always got the honey. They got the girls, they got the car, they got the jewelry. And that's just where it was at for me, period. All right. So like before you started Dada Supreme, like what was your take on streetwear culture back in like the early to mid 1990s? Um, uh, I like, of course, I liked Carl Kanai because um, the quality of his stuff. Um, you know, I, I did wear some of the black, a, a lot of the black designers. Carl Kanai was pretty much the first one. Cross Colors. Uh, I didn't really like it. It was too colorful for me, but I saw what they were doing and, you know, I appreciated it, but I wasn't a cross killer cat. I was more of a Jabot dude or Z Cavaricci dude or cafe shirts or, or Gooch, but I couldn't wear the cross colors was just too clownish for me. You know what I mean? Too many big jeans with too many colors. It was just not for me. So that kind of like inspired you to like kind of start Dada, right? Yes. Watching, you know, I saw Tommy Hill. I was working at Bloomingdale's in Garden City when Tommy Hill, Tommy Hilfiger first came out. And I never knew who it was. And I was just like, wow, this is like a knockoff of Polo. So I said, this is pretty cool. The, you know, the quality was good, but it was really just a knockoff of Polo. And they were able to get into Bloomingdale's. But um, yeah, back in, you know, I think I was about 19 then. Yeah, I was 19 years old. The original Kooji that was really made in Australia was there. That's when they were $300. That, you know, that's when, um, I guess white people owned that brand. Um, Andrew Fezza, you know, those, t- those are the type of brands that I was looking at because it was so much money and I just couldn't believe it. So and I couldn't understand why. So, you know, as I got older and I went away to school, I started to pay attention to, you know, the Walker Wears and um, all the black companies, RP55 and uh, not even FUBU because it was, that was a little bit later, but um, just the early companies that Shabazz Brothers, you know what I mean? And then... Then FUBU happened. Then Mecca happened. Mecca was really one of the top ones. I was like, you know what? This is fire. Mecca came out. Academics came out. That stuff was kind of dope. Mecca was dope. Mecca came out right before we started. And um, to me, it was just dope. The name was dope. The designs were dope. The marketing was dope. So, you know, I started to wear Mecca. All right, so... Um, can you talk about like some of the challenges that's kind of like associated with like starting your own brand from scratch? <laughs> Money. Money is the first challenge, right? Because we as black people, we, we, we could create anything. We create the trends. We start the trends. Problem is, it's, it's never, we never have the money, right? So it's hard to find the money to do what you have to do in order to get to where you have to get. Most of these companies that are out, that are huge, that are multi-billion and million-dollar companies, they, you know, they, they get financed very quickly, very early. 
but in the African American community, it doesn't happen now. Cut, cut, cut. So why have multiple? Match, match. Go, go in a little more. Um, finance is the the hardest thing because I have a million ideas that I could spew out right now to the point where I could give consulting to companies like Gucci, Versace, and Louis Vuitton because I'm the consumer. I know the people and I know what we want and what's missing. However, they don't hire people like me to direct. They hire people like me to sit in a little square and draw, and, and it goes to the design director, who you know is somebody really big, mm-hmm. and they take credit for it. Or the design director actually comes to the hood and comes and steals ideas and brings it back to these companies, which is sad. Yeah. But um, has that ever happened to you? Or like, oh, it's happened plenty of times. I'm not even going to mention the company's names, but one of the guys that that actually, there's a guy right now that actually paid the host of 106 and Park, Terrence J, money not to wear our brand anymore. And I'm not going to say wow, his name. that's crazy. And because we had a, my previous company before I started Michael Cherry was called Caesar. And they had a Versace she with a big lion. And we were popping in the streets. We had Pima Cotton t-shirts, but hand stitching, hand stitching all the way down. Even um, another company knocked us off. I forget the name of them. Um, another big company, a white company. Anyway, they copied us with the hand stitching. Affliction. You know Affliction? Mm-hmm. And they stole the idea of the stitching from us. But the person that actually paid this guy to stop wearing our brand because we were so popping and um, we used a lion, then he stopped wearing the brand and then they started wearing his brand and that brand carried a lion as well. So, you know, he purposely did that because he wanted to push his, 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 his theme of the king. I'm not going to mention it, but... You know, smart people will figure it out. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about, so. Don't oh. say it. It's going <laughs> to circulate my globe with bad vibration. <laughs> All right, so, um, like, I rec- well, so, so I kind of, like, remember the first set of Dada shirts and hats like it was yesterday. Like, what was your inspiration, like, behind those designs in particular? Max, go on the, go on the, go on the. Um, well, first the inspiration was let's make money, but we don't have a lot of money. So the first thing we can make is, and only make is hats. So we didn't want to just make hats for just men and women. Um, and, and an interesting story is, um, I didn't actually sit there and design the hat. You know, it was three of us that started me, David Huey from Unk, who's also partnered with Alan Houston. Um, he was one of the original partners and then another guy who I don't like and is going to remain nameless at this point, mm-hmm. right? And me. I'm the fashion one. I'm the one that really cares about how he looks and all that. So my man Dave Huey came in the crib, but, and we, you know, we was playing CeeLo, and he had this hat on, and he never really wore hats. So when I saw the hat, I was like, yo, let me see that hat. And the hat that he had on, because he has a big head, right? So he put the hat on. And a hat fit his head and it looked good on his head. So from that, I said, hey, we can start a company. You know what I'm saying? We can start a company. And that hat right there 
that had his fire, I think we could start a company. And that's how the birth of Dada Supreme happened from that one hat that he had on. So I was the one that said, let's start a company just based off of that one hat. So like when I think about Dada Supreme, like the logo, you know, is the main thing that pops out to me. And when I think about that logo, you know, is synonymous with with the 90s, just like the Death Row logo was to me. So like, can you um, tell us what was like the creative process like coming up with that logo? Um, well, the name came from that song, Don Dada, Yet My Super Cat, Dada, because we were standing. I said, we was like, yo, what about Dada? So I was like, yeah, Dada's fire. So let's use Dada. But we couldn't use Dada by itself, so we had to add something to it. So we added Dada Supreme. And because we were from Queens, and you got that whole Kings from Queens, from Queens come Kings, so I said, you know what? Let's put a crown there because that represents a king. Dada Supreme. Dada Supreme from Kings, Kings from Queens, from Queens come Kings. That's how my mind works. So I said, all right, let's put a crown. And the inspiration of the font or the letters was simple. First, it came from Adidas, right? A-D-I-D-A-S. And I said, you know what? Let's make it a little bit different. So we, we made, you know, the letters First, it was just Dada, and then we made it more like it had a hook and had, you know, it just looked a little bit different, but it was, you know, it was inspired by the cleanliness of the font of Adidas, then the crown over it, then Supreme below. You know, and I think the crown is what really put the logo over the top to me. Mm -hmm. That still stands out to me um, today. All right. So like from a marketing standpoint, like how did you guys like help identify the product with the consumer of um of um 1995 basically? Well, we were the consumer. I was 25 years old in 1995. So it, it wasn't hard. We knew what we wanted. We knew what we wanted to make. We, I was moving around in New York and in Maryland back and forth. Um, you know, all, all the cats that were, you know, part of us, we were all street cats from the streets, you know, some of us hustlers, some of us not, some of us doing other things to get money. So, you know, we all just cool cats with all visions of trying to get money. So, um, the streets was nothing. So we used to hang out all the time, every day, for years, like, and what was it like trying to get Dada to, like, a wider audience? What else? It wasn't that hard. You know, it was just networking and getting involved with the right people. And one of the right people in New York was Chris Latimer. Chris Latimer was from a company called The Streets, right? Guy from Howard. He had a lot of connections. He was able to get us on New York Undercover get us, you know, doing parties with little Kim and, and he just linked us up with what he was doing at the time he was promoting Tangeray. So my ex partner, he met with him and, you know, that's how the marketing started on the East coast. And Chris Latimer introduced us to the sneaker people out in California. LL, um, what's the company's name? Um, LL International. And 
they were in California and one of the guys that actually taught me how to use the computer and design, his name is Lance Simpson. And Lance Simpson comes from way back. He comes from the days of Cross Colors. He worked there. He also worked at N1. Um, what other companies? Uh, Carl Kanai. He's just, he's a veteran, but he's dope, dope designer. So I used to learn from him, but you know, once we linked up with them and they, we, they gave, we gave them the license for sneakers, um, they had their own marketing crew out there in California. So we had California on lock and we had New York on lock. They were able to get it on a lot of the television shows and rappers out there and Snoop Dogg and all these dudes, uh, Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, all of them, because they were right there in California. So we were able to hit them from both coasts, from the East Coast and the West Coast same time so it was crazy movies television videos product placement carlos um who's right now with lexani shout out to carlos um carlos was uh one of the main persons doing the marketing for data out out in la you just mentioned television shows i don't know um do you watch the wire or did you watch it while it was out yes um in season three when Marlo Stanfield, when he was talking about he wanted to wear the crown, when right. he was at war with the Barksdale crew, um, he he was actually wearing a Dada shirt with the crown on it. So, mm-hmm. like, that type of symbolism, man, it's kind of, like, crazy to me. Yeah. The, the crown, um, it resonates with um, gang members, first off. And we we kind of knew that. So we used to make certain colors, um and it used to blow out in certain parts of the country just simply because of the colors in the crown. But that's really not what the brand was about. But, you know, just because we're from the streets, we had that kind of knowledge. Did people, like, kind of pick up on that? And when yeah. I mean by people, I mean, like, the media, not no, like street people. Not at all. Because we didn't, we didn't market it that way. Right. It just happened to get picked up that way, because, and they knew we were black, so it was like, you know, they just they just picked up on it. So you had some Latin kings and a whole bunch of different, um, you know, a, a bunch of different gangs that we made certain colors specifically for them. And anything that's in that color, that's what they wear. So whether it had Mecca, Dada, Fubu, it didn't matter. It was like, yo, that's green. That's Bergen. That's yellow. That's royal. You know what I mean? But when the, the crown just helped it even more. Facts, man. All right, so, like, I know you didn't have anything to do with the sneaker portion of Dada, but, like, what are your thoughts on Spreewell and Chris Webber's Dada sneakers? I liked them when they were out. They were mm-hmm. unique. They were different. Um, I really liked the Chris Webber sneaker, um, and I wish they made not just chrome but gold and, you know, metallic other colors i wish that sneaker would have lived or that concept would have lived but the problem with that was you know it crinkled and it wrinkled you know what i mean it wouldn't stay permanent so maybe you know if they changed it to different accents of that one the sneakers or kept it going but um you know it was cool when it first came out you know you know especially the spreewell sneaker i mean like that sneaker is still talked about today and yeah. actually i think a few years ago they was trying to um retro it I'm not sure whatever happened with it, but um, I don't know. 
Dada has gone through so many different changes and owners and blah blah blah. And so I, you know, I I try not I I don't want to be associated with it anymore, honestly, because there was a lot of um, a lot of nonsense going on with the money and and the owners and embezzlement and shit like that. And I'm I'm just not built like that. People, you know, that do that type of stuff, I have to stay far away from. But it was an amazing company. We had amazing creators, amazing people that were working there. But, you know, when you get when certain people get certain type of money, then, you know, they feel special and entitled and they start treating company money as a piggy bank. And now I can't be involved in that, especially if I'm the one that's giving you ideas um, for not just Dada, but also Caesar, which was the second company that also blew up and turned into another multi-million dollar company just based off of the creative, you know, you eventually got to walk away. You have to cut your losses and walk away because your window of opportunity is only so small. So where are they now? Doing nothing. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's the difference. It's like, it's like Dame Dash and, and, and Jay-Z. I was always Jay-Z. They were always Dame Dash. But if you don't have a Jay-Z next to you, how are you going to be Dame Dash? That's how I look at it. Right. That's and in the beginning, I was very quiet, very docile. But now, I already know I'm a fucking beast. Period. I got people right now trying to, to partner up with me. I got to make a call at 7 o'clock. If a guy wants me to start a new brand, but he wants to test it because it's COVID time. And these are multimillionaires. I'm just glad I'm able to talk for myself now. All right. So, like, years after Dada, like, came and went, you launched your own brand, like, um, and you named it after yourself. Like, when you name something after yourself, it kind of, like, hits different. Yeah. So, like, um, like, you, like, kind of talk about the importance of, you know, owning your own thing without, you know, having partners or without having, you know, other people to answer to? Well, it's okay to have partners, but... Well, the right partners. You just have to have the right partners, right? right? Currently, I own the majority of brands, so I make the decisions. No one can buy me out. No one can't tell me, don't take any money out the bank. And that's the most important part. You can, When somebody owns more than 51% and they have the bank control, they could do whatever they want. That's the most important part. So, um, of course, I don't think like that. I'm not a crook. I'm not a criminal. I, I don't, you know, I'm putting all my money in. This is something that I want to create. The, the most important brand to me is my name because it's going to go on for years, for a lifetime. I won't give up control of this name. Any other name, I could care less. It could be a cash cow. I could own 30%, 40%. You could pay me a quarter of a million dollars a year and and give me 30% and I'm good because I don't care if it crashes and burns, but I can't afford for my name to crash and burn. And I'm not going to let that happen. I've already been around for eight years and people are still wearing my stuff and paying $150 for sweatshirts and $100, $125 for t-shirts. Like I make timeless quality. This t-shirt is mercerized cotton. These crystals are brilliant. This print is not screen print, it's rubber. So I have repeat customers. You know what I'm saying? These are guys that spend four and $500 for a Dior shirt, Louis Vuitton shirt. 
what's $125 to them for something that's better quality than the brands that I just mentioned? Nothing. They don't care. Like, how would you assess the brand's growth from like when from like when you started to now? Like, tremendous in terms of um, popularity, in terms of like fiscally. I'm not uh, looking for popularity. I'm looking to elevate in quality and customers. When I first started, my stuff was coming from Pakistan and Bangladesh, and they make garbage. But I was able to get away from it. Right mm-hmm. now, my stuff is made in China of premium materials. And I'm proud to go up against those top brands. Forget the urban market. I'm talking about Louis Vuitton and Gucci. Take a $400 Gucci shirt, lay it down, lay my shirt down. Theirs is four, five hundred. Mine's is one ninety-nine to $125. I killed them. That's all I care about. Like I said, I'm not worried about the money at this point. I'm worried about elevating the brand and keeping it alive and keeping it limited because the money eventually comes. I'm not doing it for the money. I'm doing it because I love it. You know what I'm saying? It's, I've In my first year, I did 60. Second year, I did 180. Third year, uh, 350. Fourth year, I was doing 600,000. And then my son was born. And then I took two years off. And, you know, eventually things went down. But it's going back up. Right. Um, it's not really about the money. So um, a few years ago, I'm not sure if you're familiar with LeVar Ball, Lonzo Ball's father. Right. So he basically tried to launch his own brand. But, um, you know, I had um, one of his sneakers. I didn't pay for it. I wasn't paying for that. But the material was was, um, cheap. You shouldn't say that. (laughs) I mean, had it, the material was probably. It was just a poorly made shoe. Like, I think in my book. Poor name and it was a poor design. And for somebody that was coming out on that type of level, you should have got professionals behind it. Right. People like Lance Simpson who create dope stuff. You know what I mean? Like, you don't, it was garbage. The logo was garbage. The sneaker, everything about it was garbage. I mean, I liked his idea and um, what he was trying to do because I think as black people, we need to like just own our own own um own yeah. things whether it's sneakers fashion you know writing whatever I agree but the problem with that is black people want to hire their cousins and their friends that have no experience and that's when everything is fucked up if levar bought if he actually hired or partnered with a chinese company that made dope sneakers he would have been a billionaire but he left it in the hands of daddy and daddy went and found somebody that gave him a garbage logo and got garbage design. And now he's in trouble. Left it in the hands of daddy. Daddy fucked it up. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah, now it's gone. And now his business partner was stealing from him. So it's just, it's just a big mess, man. All right. So, like, before I let you go, like, what advice would you give, like, a young entrepreneur who's, like, coming up, you know, trying to start their own brand? Start small. If you're going to have a partner, get contracts signed. Don't say, nah, that's my man. I could trust him because that doesn't work, (laughs) especially when you build a multi-million dollar company and you don't have any paperwork. You need contracts. You need to start small T-shirts, hats. And instead of taking the money and going out and buying more sneakers and more garbage and just keep putting the money back in the company. 
Most people can't delay self-gratification. So they take the money, they make some money, and they want to buy something and show that they got money. But then they don't have any money, and they don't have any money for the business. So if you put $100 in and you make $300, put the $300 in and make $1,000. Put the $1,000 in and make $10,000. $10,000 in to make $50,000. $50,000 to make $200,000. So on and so on and so on. But too many other, too many other people want to take the money and go buy a new car, buy a, get a new place. You can't, you can't build anything doing that. And see, that's the problem with black people. We, we flashy. We do. That's what we do. That's what happens. That's that's the fault of us. You know. Yeah. Basically, just fronting for Instagram when it. When before Instagram. To- before Instagram, bro. Is <laughs> you know you got dudes that. Once they get a little bit of money and they get a little bit of the nice cars and nice clothes and a little bit of jewelry, they, you know, it becomes a, a drug, right? Because if you're an ugly dude and you can't get girls, but now you're getting girls because you got money and you got a nice car, then it's a drug because you need that drug to get that nice girl. And men do things to make money. Why? So they could get the nice girls. It's that simple. And if you're an ugly dude, you got to have money. Right. Got to have money because you want those girls. So you'll do anything to get the money, including robbing and stealing from your friends and your family. So you can maintain getting those nice girls. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mike. So um, I want to thank you for coming on. I really enjoyed our talk together, man. Like you changed the game with Dada. You continue to change the game with with the brand. And and I think a whole um, generation of a black entrepreneurs can like really learn from you i hope so (laughs) i hope so i hope my words are inspirational i hope people can learn from my mistakes and the mistakes of my ex-partners and people that i know and all the wisdom that i've i've acquired over 25 years of just being here um i wish everybody luck i want everybody to succeed honestly all right, Mikey. Um, um, thank you for coming on. I really do appreciate it. All right, thank you. <laughs>